Hey mamas, and welcome to Nutrition for Littles, a podcast dedicated to helping you raise healthy, confident, and independent eaters. I'm Alyssa, your mama in BRD. I'm a registered dietitian and mama of two. I specialize in nutrition and feeding for infants and toddlers. Nutrition is kind of my thing, and I love sharing it. But honestly, the few seconds Instagram gives me on my stories just wasn't cutting it anymore. Join me each week right here as we go deeper and tackle topics like picky eating, mealtime struggles, baby-led weaning, fostering a healthy relationship with food, and so much more. I'll try to be short because mom life, but I plan on giving you real-life tactical advice and answering your actual questions. I will walk you through actionable strategies to help you protect and preserve your child's innate ability to listen to their bodies and eat intuitively. Let's jump right into today's topic. Hello, hello, and welcome to this week's podcast. I'm so excited about today's podcast because it's a listener question. I try to do listener questions about once every four to six weeks because I think that's where the true answers lie, right? Like these questions that you guys ask me time and time again, these are what you're struggling with at home. And I want to make sure that I'm not only teaching you principles and methods and strategies that are kind of overarching, but actually taking your real life struggles, your real life questions and giving them a true answer that you can apply. And I think this mama's question today spans across all of us. There's so many of us out there who have thought this question ourselves, who have encountered this or worried about this or wondered about this. And today is a perfect day to address it. So for today's listener question, it is short and sweet. And I love it. This mama asked, how many times should I introduce a new food until they try it? Oh my gosh, we all want to know this, right? How many times? Like, give me a list, give me a checklist, give me a spreadsheet, and I will follow it. You say 42 times of broccoli, I will do 42 times, and on the 43rd try, they will take a bite, right? No, that's not really how it goes. But today, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about how I'm going to answer this question and kind of give you some um, research that supports it and also encouragement. So first and foremost, there is no magic number, mama. I wish that there was, but I will tell you what. Every child is so different and so unique, and I'm sure you're already rolling your eyes at that, but it's just so true. And the mamas listening to this that have more than one kid, I feel like you know this more than anyone. Every kid is different, even our own children. You're like, I've parented you the same. You have the same rules, and yet you're 100% so different. It's actually funny. And when I was in high school, I debated in class nurture versus nature. And I was a hundred percent nurture. And everyone in the class had to decide what percentages they were of nature versus nurture. Are you all of your environment and how you were raised in your home and your town that you lived in, in the school and your peers and all this? Or were you born a certain way with certain tendencies? And I argued, I think I might have been the only one on the side of 100% nurture. And I remember coming home 
Because after the debate was over, our teacher said, okay, now your homework tonight is to go home and have this debate with your parents. And I went home and I asked my mom, do you believe that I am a nurture or a product of my nature? And my mom, my mom unequivocally said, oh, honey, you are nature. That was you. From the day you were born, you were born like that. Now, I don't know the answer to this question. No one truly does because nurture starts, in my opinion, at the moment of conception and goes from there. It's how we carry them in our pregnancy. There's actually research that shows that your hormones, your stress levels all have an impact on that child as they're developing. Anyways, that's a podcast for another day. But today, I want to talk about the fact that your kids are are so, so different. And we should embrace those differences and truly celebrate them. But sometimes those differences come with hard struggles and things that we never experienced or thought we would experience with our kids, right? Our first kid was, oh, this miraculous eater that would eat anything we put in front of them. And our second one is picky. How can that be? We're doing the exact same thing. Well, mama, it's because every kid is so uniquely different. So if I put a piece of broccoli in front of one kid and they pick it up and eat it, no problem. And that doesn't mean that every kid in your family or that comes in contact with broccoli will do that. Some kids might take way more exposures than average, but I can tell you what the research says. So in some research studies, and there's been several done across, you know, several decades, but generally the research shows that it takes 15 to 30 um, exposures to food for them to try it. Okay, try it. And then it takes between 50 and 70 ish, depending on which study you're looking at for them to like it. Okay, so obviously, this isn't true for all foods. Our kids, I'm sure the first time they had a Reese's peanut butter cup, were like, hey, I like this food. I like it. (laughs) This is delicious. Whereas some kids might have taken way more time to like something like broccoli or meat. We do know just anecdotally looking at kids that certain foods and certain textures are a little bit harder for them to overcome. And there's a lot of biological reasons behind that. And some of them are still unknown. But just Just know that every kid is different. And here's what I will tell you, mama. The second you stop exposing your kid to a food is the second that that decision has been made for them. Okay, so what I mean by that is if you stop offering broccoli because, oh my gosh, it's such a waste, you just decided that they're not going to like broccoli because they don't have the opportunity to learn to like it. So we want to keep exposing our kids, yes, even though it feels like a waste. And I have an entire post on my Instagram about this that is my number one reminder to myself because food waste is literally... (laughs) my biggest like frustration and trigger point around food and kids. Like when I see food just being wasted, I'm like, are you kidding me? You just asked me to make this. And now it's going in the trash or to the dog or to the floor, or (laughs) it's been mashed up into tiny little pieces and is no longer savable. Okay. So food waste is, it truly is the product of them learning. 
So sometimes it might just sit on their plate and maybe you can save it for later or you eat it or the dog eats it or you're able to put it in the compost or do something proactive with it. I hope you can. But sometimes it goes in the trash, mama, and that hurts. And I know that that hurts because you spent time and energy and money on that food. But it truly, truly is the product of them learning. It's a byproduct of them learning, honestly. And I have the post on my Instagram where it compares kind of, you know, those worksheets like in kindergarten when you were learning how to write, where it was these big letters that you're writing on one side from the teacher, and then you uh, trace them with a pencil, like maybe they did a highlighter, and then you trace them with a pencil so that you can learn how to write. Those don't go anywhere, right? I mean, (laughs) I bet most of us can't even dig in our deepest memory boxes to find those because probably our parents threw them away, just like I do with my kids. Although I did keep the one where my son wrote his name for the first time, (laughs) but everything else... Eh, we probably don't need to save these, right? That is a byproduct of learning. That's important for them. That's an investment in their future of having good handwriting, legible handwriting that they can communicate with others. It builds a foundation for them to go out into the world and make money and make connections and make a difference in this world because they know how to write and communicate efficiently. It's the same thing for Eating Mama. This is building their foundation in a place where they can feel then safe and understand their body in a way that they can go out to the world and choose what foods honor their body and what foods don't and live their life in a healthy manner. So I can't give you a number of times that your little one needs to try X, Y, or Z food in order for them to try it or to like it, but I will say that your efforts do not go unnoticed. I see them, your kids see them, your family sees them, and it is important work that we're doing. And I can encourage you that the more we expose our kids to it, especially in like a um, strategic way, the better chance we have of them eating those foods eventually, right? If it's not on the plate, they don't have access to it. So we want to continue offering it on the plate. That being said, there are some things that we can do to ensure or not even ensure, but protect that idea of them maybe one day eating it, like giving them the best chance, setting them up for success. I talk a lot about this in my Table Talk program. Let's, how can we set the stage? How can we set them up for success that they actually want to pick up the food and put it in their mouth. Number one is not being overwhelming about it, which means we're not serving broccoli three times a day every day for two years. <laughs> we're not exposing them in a way that's like, hey, don't forget there's broccoli on your plate. We want it to be nuanced in a way that they're kind of almost excited to see it, like reminded that that exists. <laughs> if we keep putting it on every day, they're just going to no longer see it on their plates. So we're not overwhelming them by serving it too often. We're also not overwhelming them by putting too much on their plate. Literally, I tell parents to start with one bite, one green pea, one bite of chicken, whatever the food is that you're working on, the smaller the amount, the better, the more manageable for them, the less overwhelming it is on their plate, and the more likely they'll be interested in grabbing it. And then, mama, the beauty of giving them just a small amount is that they want more. And when they want more and they ask for more and you fulfill that request for more, they realize that they've got a little bit of control. And when kids have control and autonomy over what's going inside their body, they get excited about it, just like we do. Humans love to have control, love to have a say, love to have their voice heard, love to have a choice. So when we give them a small bite, we're actually setting them up to be in a situation where they can ask for more and we're going to oblige, right? 
So that is really powerful. The next thing I just kind of want to tell you for when we are doing this exposure experiment is we want to offer the foods in new and different ways always. So let's go back to the broccoli example. If we typically steam broccoli and serve it on the plate, how else can we make the broccoli more appetizing? Can we mix it in with one of their favorite vegetables? Can we put butter on it? Can we put salt on it? Can we put seasoning, Cajun seasoning on it? Can we put cheese on it? Can we roast it in the oven instead? Can we blend it up and put it in a soup? Can we get creative with it, have a dip, serve it raw, do all of these things that are different and unique that our little one will go, hmm, this is actually kind of a fun food. It shows up a little differently for me every time, doesn't it? And it gets a little bit more intriguing and it's an invitation to investigate. It's an invitation to experiment with that food. And maybe that experimentation that day is looking at it. Maybe that experimentation with that food is moving it from one side of their plate to the other. Maybe it's smushing it between their fingers. Maybe it's getting it on their fork and then trying to get it off as quickly as possible. Maybe it's smelling it, licking at it, or licking it, sorry. Um, you know, all these things are really important before the actual act of eating. So that being said, I wish I had a better answer for you today. I wish I could tell you exactly the golden number of times that your little one needs to see a certain food before they decide to stick it in their mouth and keep it there. But mama, it takes time. And my biggest advice to you is to not come to the table with expectations of them eating something, but rather the expectation that you've set to create a positive environment around food right? That is what we truly are in control of. We have expectations on ourselves, not put on our kids. They are expected to show up for mealtime and that's it, right? Be respectful within reason for toddlers. And of course, we're still always, always parenting them around that table. Okay. I hope this episode was helpful for you and gave you a few tangible tips for how to handle the situation in your home and brought a little bit of peace and comfort in the knowing that every kid is different and you just never know that next time might be the exact time that they needed to see that food to finally try it. All right, mama, I will see you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you're walking away with some tangible ways to bring peace to your mealtimes. And if you like this episode, please subscribe and tell all your mom friends. And as always, the best compliment you can give me is leaving a rating and written review. You can find more from me on Instagram at momandmerd. And please feel free to send me any questions or comments you may have by emailing me at alyssa at momandmerd.com. Until next time, mamas.